As I was just looking back over the last couple of years, I realized that um, it's three years since I actually even spoke to you about our, uh, what God has called us to do as a church. And so I thought it'd be good just to uh, reflect on that for the next couple of weeks. And so this morning, I want to um, look at part of our mission statement, which is rooted in Christ and what, what that means and what we understand by that. And so we're going to revisit these things for the next couple of weeks, and I'm going to hopefully refresh your memory if you've been in the church for a while. Uh, but if you're new to the church, hopefully it will be helpful just to um, give you some pointers of what we're trying to do as a church and what we feel God has called us to. And obviously, we want to see the church prosper. We want to see the church flourish in every way. And part of that is that all of us kind of start to align ourselves around what God has called us to do as a community. And so very simply, our, our mandate, if, if you've, if you've uh, been around for any length of time, is simply this, to see people rooted in Christ, planted in family, and to see fruitfulness in people's lives. And so this morning, I want to talk to you mainly about what it means to be rooted in Christ. And then over the next couple of weeks, I also want to talk about the importance of belonging or being part of a local church, why that is important. And I think in our culture, church is becoming increasingly an option for people rather than being a, sep a, a central part of their lives. And I think that's a tragedy because we lose so much of God's heart for the world uh, as we start to disintegrate as communities. And uh, part of that is that uh, people no longer see the primacy of church or local church importance. So I want to look at that. And then I want to look specifically also what it means belonging to this church family and what makes this church family what it is. And so, as I said already in the, in the worship this morning, um, there's this big picture of God's church, universal church, that we all belong to as uh, we, we get saved. And then there's also a specific revelation that He gives to each local church um, which is worked out into that community based on the strategy of that local church and also based on the gifts and the blends of people that God calls into that particular geography. So that's why churches are unique, because there's a different set of people, there's a different uh, leadership team, and uh, the vision of the gospel is worked out in a unique way through different local churches. And that's why we need different local churches. Because there's such a breadth to God's kingdom and His gospel that He works it out in different ways, in different localities, through different churches. And so my prayer for all of us, um, as we think about these things in the next couple of weeks, we, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that all of us are priests, that all of us are called, all of us have uh, God's call on our lives. And so it's important that we as individuals find out how we can work that into the community, work out that into the world, that all of us, whether we are working as doctors or, or teachers or mums uh, um, at home, we have a call that God wants us to work out, and how do we f understand what that is and uh, begin to live it out? And that really is the whole thing of bearing fruit in our lives, and uh, all of us have different gifts and talents, and we want to be effective with those as we live for Jesus, and so we want to look at um, that as well. In case you are wondering why the, 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 the background is so bright, um, that is because I kind of I asked Jesse just to get something to speak of the prophetic word that Helen brought about three years ago now into this church out of the book of Joel. And if you remember it, um, it was to do with a rainbow of God's blessing over the church. And, and therefore, we chose uh, this 
picture this morning just to reflect something of that, to remind us of what God said. And uh, there are some things that we can do in church life. Uh, we can pray, we can worship, we can uh, read the words, we can minister to each other. And then there are some other things that only God can do. And God is the one that makes things grow. God is the one um, that enlarges as we respond by faith to what He's spoken. And so there's this wonderful partnership that we have. We do what we can, and God does what only He can do. And as we work together by the power of the Spirit, He gets the job done. And so that for me is a wonderful thing because it takes the pressure off uh, me having to perform and you having to perform because actually, actually God is the one who's sovereign, who does things, and He works out His will as we simply respond and obey what He calls us to do. And so this prophetic word was about this rainbow of color as God's promises, uh, like a banner over this community. And we, we felt God say that He was going to do a number of things simultaneously. Um, and we would see his hand at work as he did these things simultaneously. And it didn't depend on our, our feelings of worthiness. It depended on his faithfulness, that he's a faithful God, and he can use us as we simply respond. And so there were a number of, of promises, uh, a season of rejoicing in God's fruitfulness in our lives, a season of God's provision, and there were some um, Outworkings of that, the rain, which spoke of His Holy Spirit, the wine, which spoke of His joy, the oil, that spoke of His anointing, and the wheat, that spoke of His provision, our daily needs, our, our material needs that God was going to provide in this new season. And then He also spoke about a season of restoration, restoring lost vision, restoring lost passion, lost hope, lost relationships, and that His... his um, his restoration was going to be extravagant and beyond our expectations. And uh, I've certainly started to see that in my own life, that God has been doing that in the most wonderful way. And then also a season of outpouring of His Spirit, that people would have a personal revelation of God's heart for them, and out of that place would feel the commissioning of God for their lives and what He's prepared them for. And we also felt another one of the colors was about salvation, that we really wanted to trust God, and He was speaking to us that we were going to see many more people saved. And uh, God was preparing us for a season of reaping in His kingdom where He'd been sowing for many years. And the encouragement was for us simply just to put our hands to the sickle and to see Him come and do the work. And so, wherever there's a word like that that comes that's weighty and prophetic, uh, we don't want to despise that as a church. We want to, we want to trust God for the fullness of that. Uh, and, and that it would have its full work in our lives. And so my personal conviction is that we, we have not yet seen the fullness of this prophetic word. We have seen, we have seen parts of it. We have seen God do uh, amazing things in the last couple of years, but there's still much more that He wants to do in us and through us, and He still wants to see a, a rainbow of His blessings over us as a community and a local church. And so I want to encourage you to still keep that in your hearts, allow God to speak that, uh, deeply into your spirit that we will see all of those things in increasing measure. Fruitfulness, provision, restoration, an outpouring of His Spirit, salvation for many as we simply uh, obey Him. And so uh, that's the kind of background of what I want to say this morning. So I want to look now specifically just for the next 20 minutes, what do we mean when we say we want to be rooted in Jesus, rooted in Christ? And perhaps there are some of you this morning that have been here that have been Christians for many years. And if that's the case, I, I, I trust that God would still reaffirm and strengthen you in your understanding of what it means to be rooted in Jesus. Uh, there are some here that are new to faith, and you're learning what it means to be a Christian. And I pray that 
if you're in that place, God would encourage you and comfort you as you've taken those first initial steps of faith and that your relationship with Him will continue to grow. And perhaps there's some here this morning that are just asking, well, what is Christianity all about? Uh, I've, I've really got no uh, preconceptions. And if that's you this morning, I pray God will speak to you personally and that you will know His peace and that He'll begin to give you revelation of what it means to live by faith as I speak. So I'd like to look at two scriptures this morning. And the first is Ephesians 3. And this simply says this, for this reason, you can read there along with me, uh, about my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Holy Spirit in your in inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. I love that little last line, to be filled with the fullness of God. Uh, I, I would love to, over the course of my life, know what it means to be filled with the fullness of God. Yeah? That all of us can grow in our understanding of who God is and His love, not only for us, but for the world. And so, Paul is really painting a picture here of what it means to belong to God's family, all right? And in this context, we're talking about God's universal church, His family. Uh, doesn't it blow your mind to know that we are part of the same family as those that went to the lions under the persecution of, of the Romans? We're part of the same family. That's our DNA, the blood of the martyrs, the people that have paid the price for the faith over generations. Our hearts are one with theirs. Our hearts are one with the reformers. Our hearts are one with everyone who's gone before us because of the fact that we all belong to the same family. We have the same Father in heaven. That blows my mind. But that's God's promise to us. We're not, we're not only joined to believers in our generation. We are joined in heart to believers that have come since Jesus brought revelation to us. That's an amazing thing. And that's what Paul is speaking about here. He's reminding of us that we are part of the church throughout the ages and in all the world. And he says something in this, uh, five things in this uh, little portion that I want to remind you of. He says, you can know God your Father in a most personal and intimate way. And when you know God your Father like that, you can know His provision. That's what he says. According to His riches in glory. You can know His power. Secondly, that you are strengthened with power through your spirit, in your, through the Holy Spirit in your innermost being. That's the second promise. You can know His presence in your life, that Christ can dwell in your heart through faith. That's what He says. You can know His love. That's what He says. Fourthly, that, it, that uh, there's an identity change that we, ex we experience and we can begin to our, know our destiny because we are rooted and grounded in love. That's what He says. And that we begin to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. This, this is an amazing promise. Fourthly, to know His love. And finally, we can know His purpose, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. That's the purpose that God has for us. And so basically, Paul is reminding us in the Scripture of these five little things that are promises not to super spiritual people, not to the really fine saints, no, to every believer. You can know His provision, His power, His presence, His love, and His purpose for your life. Doesn't that encourage you? We are all able to experience that by the power of the Holy Spirit as we put our faith in Jesus. And that's the promise 
to his church. Not just this local church, but to his church in the world. And then zoning that down a little, and speaking now specifically about God's call for us as this local church, a number of years ago, we had a time of prayer and fasting as a leadership team to ask God just to help us to redefine our, our vision. And he gave us the scripture, Colossians 2, verse 6 to 7, which just says this, Therefore, as you received Christ, the Lord Jesus as your Lord, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And this is really where we get our little... Uh, vision statement from vision, uh, rooted, planted, fruitful from the scripture. So, if you want to know what we're trying to do, remind yourself every day of Colossians 2 6 and 7. That's what we're trying to do. And there are a number of little things I'd like to say out of this, and they're very obvious. They're just stated quite clearly in those scriptures. The first thing that we want to give ourselves to as a local church is to trust God that many might receive Jesus. That's what Paul starts to, to say. He says, he says, therefore, as you received Christ, that's part of the dream that we have for this church, that many would receive Jesus, many would come to faith. And that means that we personally choose, we respond to the Holy Spirit to live for Him and put Him above everything else in our lives because of what He's done in the cross, uh, through the cross on our behalf. And so the Bible uses this phrase that you've heard many, many times. It uses the phrase to be born again. That's what it means to put your faith in Jesus. That's what it means to receive His salvation for your life. You are born again. And we all were born physically at one time. And what Jesus explained, that, uh, that uh, image in, in, the, in, in the way of saying, we have to have a second birth. We need to be born by the Spirit. There's a spiritual birth that God does with power on the inside of us as we respond by faith. And that's what we want to see many, many times repeated in other people's lives, that we can know, people will know the love and forgiveness of Christ in a most personal way. And the whole point of Jesus' death on the cross is that our shame, our failings, our selfishness, all the things that separated us from God were judged on the cross and dealt with with finality once and for all, and our punishment was removed so that we could have a right relationship with God. That's what it means to be born again. It means because of Jesus' relationship with God is possible. It doesn't mean you're sinlessly perfect. It means that your, your, God no longer sees your sin and relationship with Him becomes possible. That's what the cross does. It is the doorway. It's, that's why we are born again by the power of the Spirit. And before the cross, relationship with God was not possible. After the cross, relationship with God is possible. That's the power of the cross. And so, becoming a Christian means that we are spiritually born as God's, God's children, and that is a very simple thing, and, and it's an act of simply saying, Lord, I choose to trust you because of what Jesus has done. And the Scripture says, when you do that, you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you are born again, and that relationship with God is birthed, and from that moment on, you start walking with Him in a whole new way. And I trust that all of you know that. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, I would love to pray with you. So maybe you can come and chat to me after the meeting, and I'll pray with you and explain a little bit more what that means. So Paul says, the first thing, he says, um, as you received Christ Jesus, we're trusting to see many, many people receive Jesus. Secondly, it says, walk in Him. That's the second phrase he use, uses. 
And he said, this is the wonder for me of becoming a Christian, is that when, when, you, when you become a Christian, you no longer walk alone. You know, Liverpool f- uh, footballers, uh, supporters sing, you will never walk alone, or however, however the tune goes for all the Liverpool supporters. But uh, the, the wonder is that actually God says, when you, be- when you become a part of his family, you never walk alone, ever again. That he is always on uh, your father, and Jesus is your brother, and in, in, you, you have that privilege of no longer trying to make your own way of life, through life. You no longer have to struggle on your own, that you have someone who's closer than a brother the, in the Holy Spirit who stands with you. What an amazing promise. And so as we find ourselves journeying with Jesus and walking with Him as Paul encourages us, uh, our responsibility is to try and hear the voice of God and to walk in step with the Spirit. And I like to use this phrase, to experience the unforced rhythms of God's grace in your life. Now, that's why I, d- I don't know why, I don't understand why people want to have a whole lot of rules that they must live by when you can rather choose to live in the unforced rhythms of God's grace in your life and you can hear His voice and He speaks kindly to you and He says, this is what I want you to do. Why would you want to live under a moral code that says, obey these Ten Commandments whilst you're going to be punished? Come on. (laughs) There's so much more for us. There's the joy and freedom of walking by the power of the Holy Spirit as we hear the voice of God and we experience the unforced, unforced rhythms of God's grace in our lives. And he says, do this today, and he says, do that tomorrow, and it makes it exciting because the journey is never the same. The end point is, but he leads us like he wants by the hand. Amen? We get to walk with him. We want people to receive him, but we want to get to know what it means to walk with him. And then thirdly, Paul says, rooted, that we need to be rooted in Christ. And that means Christianity, and I've hinted at it already, it's not just this external veneer of religious morality. It's about a truly transformed life, not by adhering to a whole moral code and 10 easy steps to change your life. It's about a completely new identity. And this is how the Bible puts it. It says, once you were far off from God, you were enemies of God, but now you have been brought near and made children. You've been made sons and daughters and that means you don't have to strive anymore. You've been completely forgiven. You have God's pr- approval. You are adopted as His Son. And so I want to encourage you, let your roots go deeply into that and understand what God has done for you and what He's declared over you, that you are forgiven, you are made entirely new, and you get to go on a journey with Jesus, which is an entirely new destiny for you, and there's a much deeper reality that God has for all of us. That is so exciting. That's what it means to be rooted in Christ, that we leave the old behind, we embrace the new, we no longer see ourselves as unworthy and, and God not really being pleased with us. No, we see we are adopted as sons and daughters, heirs of the fullness of God's promises, and we live with our heads held high and walk with Him by the power of the Spirit. Amen? And then it says, fourthly, Paul says, be built up in Him. And I like the metaphor when I think about this, I, I, I think of the metaphor of a building site. Because sometimes our lives are a bit like building site. My life is a bit like a building site. There's, I'm under construction. God is still changing me. He's doing stuff on the inside. And all of our lives are a bit like that. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but it feels like for me, sometimes there's more rubble than there is building. <laughs> sometimes there's more random pipes sort of sticking out from all directions than plumbing that's being helpful. Do you, get the, do you get what I'm trying to say? 
But the wonderful thing is that we don't have to be afraid because God's promise is He's the master architect. And not only that, He's the master builder. And His promise to all of us is that the work that He's begun in us, He will complete. Isn't that wonderful? And sometimes that does take a lifetime, that God is working over our, our lives to bring the fullness of His work in us to completion. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are in your journey with the Lord, lift up your head. Don't be discouraged. You might, you might see still a whole lot of things that need to happen in your life, but every now and then it's good to reflect back and to see what God has done, how far He's brought you. Amen? And I, I, I really did that last year, at the end of last year. I had to look back. I didn't have to, but I looked back on 2016 and just was able to say, Jesus, you have done much, and I'm so grateful. Thank you, Lord. And it's always good to come with that sense of thankfulness to, uh, to reflect on God and what the goodness of what He's done in our lives. And I found this. Sometimes um, I want to be the builder. Uh, I, sometimes I think I know what rooms I need in my own life. I want an extension there. I want an extension there. I want a different uh, second floor, perhaps. And you know, as I've walked longer and longer with the Lord, I've found this, that when I try to build the rooms, when I try to do the extension, when I try to add the kitchen, it always ends in pain and misery. <laughs> his plans are ultimately much higher than mine, and His wisdom is ultimately much higher than mine. And what I have to learn to do more and more is to humbly try and hear his voice and say, okay, Jesus, I'm just going to do what you're calling me to do. That one thing for now. Let me do that well, and then you will give me the next step. Isn't that true? Sometimes for our lives, we want all the stuff all in one hit. And yet God is taking us on the process, and he's building, and he's adding, and he's deconstructing some things so he can construct some other things. And that's part of the joy of learning to walk with him. And part of that is learning to trust Him even when we can't see the full picture, when we, we don't really, we think, well, that doesn't make sense. But that's part of learning to trust the voice of the Spirit. And then he says, fifthly, Paul says, established in the faith. Um, uh, Jesse turned 18 a couple of days ago. And for me, that's a wonder uh, as a parent. All of us, we, we don't want our kids to remain in nappies all their lives, do we? As cute as that is. And I mean, and there's some very cute children in this church. Ryan? It's wonderful. But every father wants his child to grow up, become mature, become a spiritual, uh, not, a, uh, not even a spiritual, but become an adult and to be a well-rounded person, mature person who lives for others, who thinks of others, is not selfish. We all want our children to grow up and be like that, don't we? We don't want them to be toddlers all their lives. And uh, God wants the same for us in terms of our relationship as, uh, with Him as, as our Father. He wants us to grow up and not always be little children in the faith. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to become mature in our faith and trust in Him. And I want to put it to you <laughs> that remaining a child in, in a spiritual sense is expressed through always being cynical, always doubting, always questioning, and never sure that God is actually good and kind to you. It's remaining a child. When we can get to the place when we actually know God's work in my life is always for my good, 
he, he, he is, he's always got his best intentions towards me. And what happens in my life is not his punishment and his disapproval. It's the fact that he's allowing me to be disciplined because he's treating me as a son and he wants to grow up. And it's actually his affirmation that I'm growing and becoming a son and a fully mature adult. Then I think we are becoming mature. And I'm not saying that to accuse anyone. I'm trying to encourage you. Yeah? That, then we're starting to, yeah, we're starting to grow now. We're not thrown this way and that by every little circumstance. No, we know our God is good to us. We know God is faithful. We know He's our Father. We know that He has His best intentions for us. And when, when someone, uh, Clive prayed in, in the prayer time before the meeting, that whatever the circumstance, we know that God is good. And that's, that's exactly right. Whatever the circumstance, God is good. And we have to learn to trust Him. And that's part of becoming mature. Um, I love uh, Alan, he's not here this morning in our life group a couple of years ago. I'll, I'll never forget this. He said, he said this, God cannot not be faithful. To be anything else would be to go against his nature. I love that. He, he hit it right on the head. God cannot not be faithful to you. Because if he was not faithful to you, he would be going against his nature. His nature is always to be faithful to you. Always to be a lifter of your head. And I, I, I put it to you this morning that becoming mature is settling that in your heart once and for all. And then he says, Paul says, just as you were taught. He uses this phrase, just as you taught. Um, what Paul means by this, I think, is a very simple thing. Becoming mature as a Christian doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen by hanging around with other Christians. It happens by choosing some things that help root yourself in Christ. It comes by choosing to have a humble heart. It comes by choosing to say, Lord, I still have much to learn about you, about your kingdom, about other people. Uh, I don't have full, full revelation. Will you teach me? Will you instruct me? Will you help me? It comes by choosing to sit under the preaching of the Word in your local church and hearing what God is saying to you as an individual and how that fits in with His emphasis of the community and His love for the world but that you choose to humble yourself and listen to His Word. <laughs> now, when I say that, I know in our context that uh, our culture says you have a right as an individual to make up your own mind about everything, and you absolutely do, and I, I respect that. But you see, there's something about a Jewish tradition that we've inherited uh, as, uh, as Christians that has to do with keeping quiet and letting someone else bring something that might challenge or instruct or correct, and there's a humility in that. <laughs> there is real humility in that, sitting under the preaching of the Word and letting God instruct you. And we try and give different people um, opportunity in this church to preach so we can have different perspectives, etc. But there, it requires humility. It requires the humility to sit and to not say, well, I disagree, even if you do. And let God do something in your own heart and instruct you. It requires humility. And I can't do that for you. Uh, only you can do that for yourself. It, it, takes, it takes a discipline of setting time to read and reflect on God's Word, to pray in your da daily life and allowing Him to encourage you, to exhort you, and if need be, to correct you as a good father. And you see, this is the change that we have, isn't it? All the things that we are, are, are essential for us to do as Christians are squeezed out of our lives by 
having to commute in and out of London on the train an hour a day and all those kind of things. And there's a real discipline that has to come by the power of the Spirit that we can start to make time for the things that really count as believers. Yeah? And so that's why Paul says we have to do that just as we taught. And then lastly, Paul says, he uses this phrase, abounding in thanksgiving. I love that. Abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding means an uncontainable, overflowing, continual thankfulness. When we stop saying thank you to God for His goodness, we are in danger of becoming cynical, self-pitying, resentful immediately when we stop saying thank you. And so we stop seeing His hand at work when we stop saying thank you. And we can become overwhelmed by our circumstances. So I want to encourage you that we become increasingly a community, and I'm not saying we are not a thankful community, but increasingly we become a thankful community. And I want to put it to you like this this morning. Every time you give thanks, it's a statement of faith. Do you know that? Every time you give thanks, it's a statement of faith. Um, I love Crowded House. I'm showing my age. And over, they're, they're a band from the 80s. <laughs> and I saw this concert uh, over the New Year's period where they're playing um, in Sydney, and uh, the, one of their hits was Always Take the Weather With You. Do you know that song? Everywhere you go, always take the weather, take the weather with you. It's a great song. But it's, 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 taking, it's, it's, it's speaking of a wonderful truth. It's talking about always being thankful, always being uh, grateful for the good thing that is happening in your life, that whatever the weather is around you, you can take the weather with you. And part of taking the weather with you is having a grateful and a thankful and a generous heart in terms of seeing all that God has done in our lives. And I, and I would encourage you that thankfulness is also, it's not only a statement of faith, it's an antidote to fear. Did you know that? It's a powerful act of courage to give thanks. It's a powerful act of courage and a powerful habit that helps us start seeing life from God's perspective, not from our own. I want to encourage you with that. It takes courage to cultivate, and you can cultivate it on the inside by the power of the Spirit. I can do the same by the power of the Spirit. And so that, in a nutshell, is what God has called us to as a local church. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, to see many receive Jesus, that we can walk in Him, be rooted in Him, built up in Him, established in the faith, just as we were taught, overflowing with thankfulness so that we can see His kingdom come and His will done in this community. Simple. The gospel is very simple. That's what God has called us to. And so I want to give you four things to conclude. How can we, how can we practically give ourselves to the right things? And here, very, very simple. How can we practically root ourselves? Well, I want to start as a, just by saying, of course, all of this starts with the generosity of God. All of this starts with His initiative. All this starts with Him putting His hand into our lives and saying, I've chosen you and taking us out of our, our lack of vision and our selfishness and planting us in His kingdom. It all starts with God. It starts with His, his kindness and His generosity. But He doesn't want us to just be converts. He wants us to become disciples. And that's what I've been trying to say this morning. I put it to you, uh, I've used these phrases before, not only disciples, but He want us, wants us to become friends like Abraham. Abraham was called the friend of God. God wants us to be friends. He's sees us as sons, and He wants that relationship of friendship with us. And so here are four simple ways that we can cultivate that friendship. 
we can cultivate that friendship through worship. We root ourselves in Jesus through worship. And so that's why getting together as a community, getting together in smaller groups, getting together to play football, <laughs> getting together whatever it is as a toddler's group with, your, with, with other mums, getting together in each other's homes for meals, all of those things are an expression of us expressing our love for God and our enjoyment of Him, Acts 2, and our enjoyment and love of each other. It's very simple. And uh, that is all part of worship. It's all part of trusting God for our future. And so I, I put it to you, as we gather and we worship God, that's how we must change and become more and more like Him. I, I think um, outside of Jesus, the person that has changed me most is my wife. It's true. Why? Because she knows me the best. We sleep in the same bed. We had kids together. We fought many times. We've made up many times. We've set vision and goals for our lives. And she's changed me more than anyone outside of Jesus. It should be like that. Why? Because even though we might not like to say it, people that know us best are the ones that can help us most. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, people love to speak about relationship and community, and yet they run far from it. Why? <laughs> because when you, people really get to know you, and you really open your heart, then people can really say, well, mm, uh, maybe you should change that. And someone can say to me, and maybe you should change that. And we don't like that, do we? So what we need most, we need community, we need friendship, we need love, we need people lovingly to speak into our lives. We flee from it because we're most vulnerable when we're in community. We need community desperately. How did I get onto that? Anyway. Worship. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that God is the highest goal of our hearts. Worship brings us into this intimacy with Him. Secondly, we root ourselves through His Word, and I'm nearly finished. And so part of, a, uh, part of what we do in this church is we regularly sit under preaching. Someone said to me, you shouldn't preach, you should tell stories, because Jesus told, told stories. I believe in good storytelling, but I, leave, I believe in preaching. I believe we should call it preaching. I believe we should give it horns every time we preach. Like it's the last time we're going to get to say anything. Let it, be, let it count for the kingdom. Yeah? Preaching. And like I've said, that implies humility from all of us. Humility from the, the one who's bringing the word. Humility from those that are receiving the word. That we all are being transformed, transformed by the word altogether. That we are washed. That's what the Bible says. We are transformed. And so my, my goal every time I preach is to try and help people to be free from legalism on the one hand. That's by living by rules. To know that they have God, God's favor. Uh, and on the other hand, that they wouldn't live licentious lives either. And what, what, licentiousness is, we, we think of licentiousness actually as, you know, all the sins. Uh, I think the most licentious lifestyles are people that actually just live for themselves. Don't care for the world. Don't care for anyone else. Just me, my family. As long as I'm fine, for me, that is licentious living. <laughs> That's not the freedom of Christ. Freedom of Christ calls us to live for other people with the gifts that we have been given.
And so there's this radical middle that I hope that you will begin to enjoy in your life. It's the power of the gospel. It sets you free from selfishness. Sets, you, sets us all free from legalism. And together we can live for the kingdom. We can live for others. We can live for the community. We can live with other people in mind. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Amen. And then thirdly, we are rooted through prayer, ministry of the word. And that's why we love corporate worship. That's why we want the Holy Spirit to lead us. Every time we gather before the meeting, we pray and say, Jesus, what do you want to do in this meeting this morning? Help us to partner with you by the power of your Spirit that you can do what you want to do in people's hearts through the worship, through the, the, the preaching, through the prayer, whatever it is. And so we value prayer, and I, I want to encourage you. We pray before the meeting, 9.30. You're welcome to join us. It's not, a, it's not, a, it's not the Holy Joes that get together at 9.30. It's the whole church. Anyone who wants to pray, seek God's heart for the meeting, join us at 9.30. We also sometimes pray during the meeting, break into small groups or pray together. Why? Because we want to value prayer and what God, how God speaks through prayer. And sometimes we call the whole church together for corporate times of prayer as well when we feel like there's something that God has for us. So we root ourselves through prayer and the ministry of the Spirit. And then lastly, and we're going to um, break bread together as we finish, the fourth way that we root ourselves in Jesus is to break bread together. And I think when I look at the Reformation and what came out of that, part of the importance of the Reformation was that people, once again, understood what the sacraments really were about. When we break together, what, bread together, what are we doing? We're reminding ourselves that Jesus is the one who saves us. We're reminding ourselves that it's not our self-effort. We're reminding ourselves it's His grace. We are reminding ourselves that He's constantly transforming us from one degree of glory to, other, to, 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 to the other. We are reminding ourselves that actually walking with the unforced rhythms of grace, as I've said, is living from the inside out. It's living from a well that's inside of you, not living by rules which push from the outside and constrict. That's what we're reminding ourselves every time we break bread. We're reminding ourselves that we need the gospel. I need the gospel every single moment of every day. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my confidence. That's your confidence. That's your assurance. That's my assurance. And the wonder, most wonderful thing is that when we mess up, we don't have to run far from God. I want to encourage you. I've seen this so many, many times, and it grieves my heart. When people go through difficult times, they withdraw from church community. It's exactly the opposite we should do. We say it with, with our minds, but our emotions get in the way. When you mess up, when you foul up, when you, when you have a most terrible fight with your wife, the first place you should come is to the, is to the table. Not the last place. The first place you should come is to God's table. And just say, sorry, Jesus, I blew it, and I know that actually you see me not on the basis of my performance, not on the fact that I fouled up again. I'm so sorry that I did, Lord, but you see me on the basis of what Jesus has done for me already, and I am so grateful. Come on. Run to the table. Run to the cross. Don't run from the cross. It's the source of strength. It's the source of power. It's the source of forgiveness. It's the source of grace for all of us, for you and for me. I'm, I'm trying to say what I've found in my life. That's, that's what it is. So I want to encourage you, wherever you are this morning, whether you feel way far from God or whether you feel really close to Him this morning, I'm asking you to run to the table and to gratefully come and say, Jesus, thank you, I'm your son. Thank you, I'm your daughter. 
Thank you for all the work you've done in my life. Thank you that it doesn't depend on me. I'm doing my best by the power of your Spirit. But thank you right now that you see me as Jesus, as you see your Son. There's power in the cross. There's power in the table as we break bread. That's how we read ourselves in Jesus. I want to encourage you. Let's break bread together. Let's celebrate as a family. Let's, let's uh, trust God for this year, for the fullness of what He has for us. Every year, I'm trusting God for growth. I'm trusting God for maturity. I'm trusting God for deeper times of worship, all that. And those are, that's absolutely right. But can I encourage you that we start at the table and realign our hearts around what Jesus has done and the security that that brings for all of us. Amen.